Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. Real repentance is the hardest subject to teach. It's also one of the very hardest subjects to understand. Thankfully, we receive regular opportunities to hear about this subject of real repentance and just get that crucial reminder of what real repentance really is. Herbert W. Armstrong used that term because it is so easy for us to say we repent and to even have human sorrow. And yet that is simply not real repentance. We heard an excellent lecture at the ministerial conference this year by Australasia Regional Director Aaron Hudson about real repentance and just how we all must understand this subject. It relates to salvation and eternal life. We have to get this subject right. Now, after the rebellion in the Worldwide Church of God in the 1970s, Mr. Armstrong learned not to accept flowery words only. When counseling with the brethren, when working with people, he learned that sometimes people can say one thing but mean something else. They can say they repent, but not take the necessary action to follow through. So as Mr. Hudson, Mr. Aaron Hudson, told us during the conference, we have to really look for real fruit. The works, the actions we take are evidence of repentance in our lives. And that's exactly what it says in the Bible. Matthew chapter 3 is a quality example of this. John the Baptist was preaching the gospel of repentance. He was telling people to repent if they wanted to be part of God's kingdom. Notice Matthew 3 verses 7 and 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism... He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. You see, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious scholars of Jesus Christ's time were very self-righteous. They thought so highly of themselves. They thought they were living pretty good lives. And yet John the Baptist called them a generation of vipers. He called them a bunch of snakes. Snakes cannot be trusted. 
Snakes don't do anything good for us human beings. So obviously, we need to really take this warning to heart. We can't become self-righteous and think we're on the right track doing good of ourselves. We have to change. Repentance is more than saying sorry or even feeling sorry. It's actual change. Repentance is proven by performance. Are we actually doing things differently? Are we realizing that we sinned? Are we understanding the penalty that was paid for our sins, the life of our Savior, and then doing something different? Mr. Hudson at the conference talked about the attitude that we need. We need a surrendered attitude. This is a huge part of repentance. It means submitting the human will to God's will. It's like a spirited cult being broken. How can we make any use of a horse if no one can ride it? A horse that can't be ridden is worthless. And so our human nature must be broken. It must be in submission to God's Holy Spirit. Repentance and surrender. That's what we must do for a lifetime. As long as we are sinful human beings, we must repent of our sins, go the right direction again, continually surrendering to God. But it goes even deeper than a surrendered attitude. We actually have to repent of what we are. Not just repenting of our sins, which are the breaking of God's law. 1 John 3 verse 4. But we also have to repent of what we are. This is where it gets really difficult. Sometimes we can look at ourselves in the mirror and be rather satisfied at what we see. Yet there's so much to repent of. Bad attitudes, idols, the way of get, the selfish attitude that is so common in our lives. Mr. Armstrong wrote a classic article. I, I like to think of this article as the Peacock article from the August 1962 Plain Truth. He is writing about how there was a peacock right outside his room at the Ambassador College campus in England. This peacock would strut around in front of the glass doors and windows and Mr. Armstrong could never really shoo it away because it wanted to look at its reflection in the glass. Mr. Armstrong wrote, It is quite evident this peacock thinks very well of himself. He can't have many brains. There simply isn't room in his small but brilliantly colored blue head. 
But then it doesn't seem to take a large head to be filled with vanity, pride, and self-admiration. Yes, sometimes I think our peacock is almost human, and he can be just about as annoying. This bird is all self. You see, we humans, so much of the time, can act just like that peacock, satisfied with ourselves, thinking we are doing a good job. But as Mr. Armstrong points out, we have to repent not just for what we have done, but for what we are. We are selfish as human beings. That's the broadcast that Satan puts into us. The self involves our bodies, our minds, our possessions, even our family members and friends. Those are all part of the empirical self. Those around us, anything connected to us in some way, our group, our team, our nation. All of these are just an extension of the self. And these are the things we love. We love the self. Mr. Armstrong gives some examples of different types of people that surely are exhibiting unselfish love. Mr. Armstrong basically says, surely a mother exhibits selfless love for her child. We can't possibly think that a woman with a child is being selfish. And yet Mr. Armstrong says, well, that is her child. That child grew in her. That child is hers. And so the love for that child is based on a love of self. You could think of a philanthropist. Mr. Armstrong gives that example as well. A philanthropist is giving money to charity, really trying to help improve others' lives. But he's also putting his name on his various generosity projects. And it does become vanity. Eventually. Now, it's just very interesting. I never really thought of repentance this way, but there is a chapter in the Bible that makes it very clear. And the way Mr. Armstrong expounds on it is just absolutely brilliant. Notice Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 20. Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Now, Think about this spiritually, the good tree with good fruit, the bad tree with bad fruit. And it says a good tree never produces evil fruit. 
We are all human beings. We all sin. We all produce evil fruit at times. Therefore, we are not good trees. Mr. Armstrong writes here, Jesus said we are known by our fruits and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, nor can a good tree bring forth evil fruit. If you then are pretty good, if you think you are a good tree, it is impossible to bring forth bad fruit. That is impossible for you to sin. So, if you're a good tree, that means you're perfect. That means you're sinless. And not one human being is sinless. So we're all bad trees. Mr. Armstrong continues, you have sinned. So you are not good. But if you are not changed so as to produce good fruit, you shall be burned up in the lake of fire. We are not good trees now. Our hope is in the resurrection, it's in the transformation from human to spirit. When we are perfect, spirit-born sons of God, we will be perfect. We will no longer sin. We will finally, at that point, be good trees. Mr. Armstrong then quotes the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. Romans 7 verse 18 in me dwells no good thing. No good thing. Paul took years to figure out this basic truth. And so it is with all of us. Where maybe God has called us into his church, the Philadelphia Church of God. Maybe we have been baptized as members of the church. And we look back and we say, well, yeah, God, God could pick me because I have some pretty good traits. I, I have some talents that God can benefit from. And maybe we start to think of ourselves like that peacock that Mr. Armstrong saw outside his window. We start preening in front of the mirror and admiring our own goodness. And yet there really isn't any goodness in us. Paul said, in me dwells no good thing. A good tree never sins, never produces evil fruit. And so by default, we are all bad trees. You can learn so much more about this subject in chapter five of PCG Pastor General Gerald Flurry's free booklet, how to be an overcomer. Chapter five is titled war of the wills. And this, this is really what we need to study and understand. There is a human will. All of us have a will where we decide what we want to do. And then there's also God's will, what he wants us to do. There's Satan's will too. There's something he wants us to do. So there's different wills in play here. 
And ultimately, it's about God's will versus Satan's will. Which will will we follow? We have to make a choice. Paul said in Philippians 2 verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not enough to just want to live God's way. We need the power of God by the Holy Spirit to actually follow through and do it. We need to submit to God's will, make sure our human will matches God's will, and then we need to use God's power to produce real spiritual fruit. God has to produce good fruits through us. There's no good thing in us. And only by yielding to God can any good fruit ever be produced. I was thinking about how to try to make this subject clear. And I remembered how earlier this summer, we actually had some renovations at Armstrong Auditorium. And so for about a month, the Edmund congregation was actually attending Sabbath services over at the John Amos Fieldhouse instead. Meanwhile, the tradesmen, the craftsmen, the hard workers were over at the auditorium throughout the week for that month, and they were replacing the carpets, removing the chairs, putting the chairs back in. They were refurbishing the building. All we had to do as members of the congregation was stay out of the building. We just had to stay out of the way. We had to get ourselves out of the way so the tradesmen could do their job. And it's the same way with God. Your Bible calls him the master potter. We just have to get out of the way and let him mold and shape us. We have to consent to his creative project. All of us in the Edmund congregation consented to meeting for services in the field house for a month. Now, wouldn't it be a little bit absurd for us to say we helped renovate Armstrong Auditorium simply because we got out of the way? <laughs> To say, oh yeah, I, I chipped in. I was, I was helping replace the carpet because I attended services in a different building for a month. That's not the same thing. We were not helping. We were just getting out of the way. So for us to say that we are helping build godly character, that we are working side by side with God to build his character in us, that's not really accurate. We're just getting out of the way. We're submitting to God. We're surrendering to God. We're being humble and childlike so he can correct us and teach us. But we are not building God's character. We are not the ones producing good fruits. It's all God as he forms and fashions his character in us. We just have to get out of the way. It's really that simple. We cannot 
just give ourselves too much credit. Like we're the ones producing God's character. That's not how it works. But it's so easy to get confused on this subject. God's entire church fell away because there was too much self-will. Too many people thinking they could do good all on their own or even thinking they could do good part of the way. And then they just needed a little push over the edge by the Holy Spirit. But they could, they could climb that mountain most of the way on their own. And then at the very end, maybe get some help from the Holy Spirit to finish the job. That's just not right. Zechariah 4 verse 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Eternal of hosts. Every good thing that comes up in our lives, that is produced in our lives, comes by God's Spirit. And without it, not one good thing dwells in us. We produce not one good fruit. God must do it in us. Jesus Christ set the perfect example of submitting to God's will. Christ as a human being didn't always have the same will as his father. For example, when he was about to be brutally murdered, do you think Christ just wanted that to happen? Christ begged God for any other way to move his family plan forward any other way besides Christ suffering and dying the way he did. But then Matthew 26, verse 39, Christ said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Christ naturally, humanly, wanted to escape the agonizing suffering that awaited him. The scourging and crucifixion that we struggle to even comprehend. Of course, it wasn't Christ's will to go through that humanly. But Christ got himself out of the way. He submitted to his Father's will. And the Father did the work. He did the good works and produced the good fruits in Christ. Romans 12 verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, verse 2. You see, God's will is perfect. Our will is not. That's why we must submit our will to God's will. Let him work in us. Let him give us the gift of his Holy Spirit and produce the good fruits in us. On page 71 of How to Be an Overcomer, 
Mr. Gerald Flurry writes, that is the will we must understand and prove that we have in our minds. That means thinking about church Bible studies and everything else the way God does. We have to say, I want God's will. I don't want my will. We have to study and listen and learn everything we can about his will and learn to love what he loves, follow where he leads, hate what he hates, grow excited about what excites him. On so many specific points, it really gets down to you understanding and doing what the will of God is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what we all ought to be striving to do. We have to grow always in proving what is the perfect will of God. And through our Bible study, we prove God's will through prayer and obedience. We submit to God's will and God can work a wonderful creation in us. That is the fruit of real repentance. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.